Can I just say, like, an Asian American candidate with a, a hat and pins that say math, like, a white guy had to have done that. Like, that's just the whitest, that's the most racist shit ever to make an Asian candidate slogan math. Like, come on. Situation Room live stream podcast, podcast live stream, the live stream of the podcast. You get it. Um, my name is Francesca Fiorentini. I am your host as always. Um, welcome. Maybe you're on Facebook right now. Maybe you're on YouTube. Maybe you're on twitch.tv. Sup? welcome y'all i'm so glad you're here thank you so much thank you for being here thank you for being here last week um we had such a good show and i had a couple of follow-ups to the show last week in which we interviewed a clinical lab scientist who is currently working on covid testing um once again we are in a momentously tragic week this week because we're about to reach a hundred thousand dead uh and so what we can all do is put on your mask and get a test. Yes. Uh, we talked to Veronica Huerta. She's doing testing. And if you can get tested, get tested. All right. Experience what it's like to feel the nasal swab go all the way back to the back of your head, you know, just like the whole cavity um, or a cheek swab or like, you know, whatever, you know, spread your cheeks if you want and be like this kind of cheek swab, whatever you want to do. I'm sure the nurses have all seen it before. Um, you guys, we have such a good show for you tonight. Uh, Jeff Chang is here. He is an author, a journalist. He uh, is currently in the PBS documentary called Asian Americans. So good. He's going to join us. We're going to talk all about Asian American Heritage Month, anti-Asian racism, and probably about his new biography that he's writing about Bruce Lee. So it's going to be dope stick around for that. Um, and I also wanted to mention that, uh, I mentioned last week that Doctors Without Borders has been deployed to a, like, I was like, oh, it's deployed to Indiana because Mike Pence is messing up. But no, no, Doctors Without Borders has been deployed to Navajo country, uh, Navajo nation in the Southwest, because uh, the Navajo population have the highest rate of coronavirus per capita in the nation. Um, so, Tonight, we are raising money for the Navajo Nation, in addition to helping continue this show. Any bit of the money that you give to us tonight, any of the tips, we will also donate to Navajo Nation. So thank you so much in advance for that. Thank you for your tips from last time, and thank you for your tips tonight. You can tip us at, at TBR-Live on Venmo. TBR-Live on Venmo. Get with it. And without further ado, let's just jump into this fucking thing. I'm so happy to once again this week welcome back my friend, uh, my homie, my comrade, labor organizer and a comedian, Mr. Nato Green. Hey, what's up, Francesca? <laughs> <laughs> you got lost there after the first consonant, man. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I've been, I've been, as I mentioned last week, I've been coping with, uh, this situation by really focusing on my drinking, really building on my liquor cabinet. So somebody asked what I was drinking. Today's drink is the point break. Ooh. Uh, this is uh, bourbon, uh, sweet vermouth, Amaro Montenegro, and, uh, to make it funky and orange peel. 
So it's a nice little drink. Mm -hmm. Point break. Um, via con Dios, as they say. Yeah. Now, what is the difference between Amaro Negro and Amaro Blanco? Is that it? I'm, I'm, I don't know that Amaro Blanco is a thing. Uh, Amaro is the general. Uh, there's a, a Mar, Amari. Amari is the general term as the for the family of Italian. Let me tell you about Italian stuff, Francesca Fiorentini. Um, uh, um, uh, Amari is the category of Italian uh, uh, liqueurs that are uh, bitter and flavored. It includes Fernet, your Campari, your Chinar, if you want to. Fucking so anyway, artichoke flavored, uh, Amaro Nonino, Amaro Montenegro, Averna. All of those things are different variations within the Amaro family if you want to get funky with it. Thank you so much for that. That I know that is why people tune into this podcast is primarily to learn about the the liquors that taste like your um, just the perfume of an old Italian lady. Yeah. Um, I feel bad for Italian teens when they first start drinking and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to dive into this chinat. And it's like, hey, que cazzo questo, eh. something like that. Come back to the Bidjuation Room next week. week we'll, I'll talk about brandy, cognac, eau de vie, and armagnac. Armagnac. That sounds like a Ren and Stimpy character. Uh, this is yeah. armagnac. <laughs> right. Not to be confused with the fermented yak milk that was consumed yes. by Genghis Khan <laughs> and the Mongolian hordes as an inebri uh, inebriating substance uh, during the Mongolian Empire. Oh, God. I just I just lost my boner for this podcast real quick, Nato. Was it the phrase fermented yak milk that <laughs> melted your dog? No. <laughs> I like that part. It was when I found out you were serious, and then I was like, mm, suddenly disinterested. Yeah. Um, all right, Nato, welcome to the Bituation Room. Thank you for being here. Um, Y'all, we have a new segment for those of you who came and listened last week um, where we do a little roundup since we're spiraling out of control. We don't know what day it is. A lot of us are sheltering in place going on two plus months. Um, so it is Sunday, May 24th, and we're looking back on the week with our segment called The Week Where. Ta-da! Oh, I thought I thought we were waiting for theme music. Oh no, that, that I'm gonna add that in post, right? Okay. Podcast listeners, gonna sure. add it in post. Don't don't sweeten tell it. <laughs> sweeten it. All right. So this is the week where let's get into it. This was the week where Trump said he has been taking hydroxychloroquine himself, which uh, will certainly lead to his supporters taking it themselves. Side effects, if you don't know, include agitation, paranoia, confusion, and mania. Um, which leads me to the question, did he not think Fox News was doing the job? Hydroxychloroquine is just Fox News in pill form. Uh, but we all know that Trump isn't actually taking hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine is just what Trump calls cocaine, uh, which we know <laughs> that he's been taking continuously since the 70s. Uh, he's all, we also know that he's not taking hydroxychloroquine because it's an anti-malaria drug, and Trump doesn't like anything involving Guatemala. <laughs> It's Adderall. Um, have more respect for our president, NATO. Sorry. My bad. My bad. This is the week where Trump also declared that churches are essential to the economy, uh, proving that he's actually quite religious himself. Because honestly, at this point, going to church now is the fastest way to get to heaven. 
Trump uh, doesn't believe in the separation of church and grave. Uh, <laughs> you see that? <laughs> uh, look, Solid. these these these, these whites are crazy. Uh, every, every time I see a picture online of white people assembling to in a rally to reopen the country, reminds me of those people dancing on the rooftop on Independence Day under the alien ship right before they got blown up. Uh, for example, there was a rally at the Wisconsin State Capitol in Madison to reopen the country, and afterwards, 72 people who were there tested positive for COVID. And look, if a bunch of armed white Christian racists who don't believe in science really want to kill themselves, who am I to object? Dude, lock NATO up. I said nothing. Let the record show. I've said nothing, okay? <laughs> Put me in the nice gulag. Um, this was the week where Biden, Joe Biden, presidential candidate for the Democratic Party, almost the nominee, uh, told Charlemagne the God on the radio show The Breakfast Club uh, that, quote, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Um... <laughs> to, to be fair, it was better than his like previous um, response, which was just going to be pulling out a photo of, of Obama and just sniffing its hair. Uh, <laughs> this is my Obama coaster for those of you just listening. That's nice. Uh, it's It wasn't just the quote. Um, of what Biden said, but that that was his response to the question that he was answering. Because the thing that Charlemagne the God said that that prompted Joe Biden to say, then you ain't black, is, listen, you've got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. It's a long way to November. We've got more questions. Yes. And that was the thing that Charlemagne the God said to a candidate for public office, I'm going to invite you to come campaign for the office that you're campaigning for to reach a constituency that you need to win. And Joe Biden thought that the right right answer was, well, then you ain't black. And I'm just I'm going to do this from now on. Like whenever I'm going to blurt that out, when like when my wife asked me to do laundry, you ain't black. Uh, see how that goes. <laughs> and he just he just didn't want to talk to Charlemagne again and couldn't figure out how to get out of it. Right. And it makes sense that one of the politicians most responsible for expanding the mass incarceration of black people would tell someone they ain't black as a get out of jail free card. That's very good. Uh, I, if I think about that, it's good. You got more NATO. I, well, I just I just want to acknowledge that uh, the true hero in this story is me, because we narrowly dodged a bullet of me writing 15 jokes about the relationship between Charlemagne the God and Charlemagne the Great, and I had an incredible ninth century Europe chunk ready to go. Dude, we already uh, talked about yak milk. Yeah. So <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> no, but this whole thing, I really do think that like Biden does like does he not know that he's not black? Like he himself isn't black. Like he doesn't get to say, even black people, I think, would argue whether black people get to say you ain't black. But like, it reminds me of the bit in that part in that the Seinfeld episode where Jerry dates the woman obsessed with Chinese culture and it's Asian American heritage month. So it's perfect uh, where she's just like pronouncing her R's differently and like really into Chinese medicine. And at one point he's just like, you know, you're not Chinese. <laughs> like this is like, I just, I just want to ask like, you know, you're not black, right? Biden. 
I, what I'm uh, when when white guys really want to get into cultural pr- appropriation, like I, I know that you've experienced this too, Francesca. Like that some some hipster white guy from like Berkeley will decide that he really wants to get into like Latin American culture and will like move to you know Honduras for a while. And the telltale sign is that he grows a beard and starts wearing like those Guatemalan fabric pants. Um, <laughs> and so it's like maybe if Biden Biden had grown a beard and was ro- rocking the the Guatemalan poncho or whatnot, uh, or, you know, then, well, then he, he we, we'd see a company coming. He, he's, he is the type of white man who will wear a dashiki and like a uh, Rasta <laughs> hat just in his apology. Like, I don't mean no disrespect. Look. And then he'll like, he's the guy who's like, you know, you've got a bit mm. about your kids doing blackface because they, they wanted to honor their friend. That's Biden. Biden is the person who doesn't understand blackface isn't offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, we're moving on. Uh, You know, you got to vote for him and stuff. (sighs) This was the week where New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern floated the idea of a four-hour work week as a way to boost productivity and local tourism in response to the economic downturn because of coronavirus. And that means, and I swear to God, the sheep in New Zealand have a better quality of life than Americans. That's just fact. That's the way it is. Uh, when she made that announcement, I was reading an article about it, and uh, one New Zealand business owner said, quote, so we must understand, this is a business owner, so we must understand that there has to be a focus on mental health in order to resurge economically. The four-day week is a tool to protect the health of workers in every respect, making this model all the more relevant to the new world we find ourselves in. In response, Thomas Donahue, CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, said, Fuck you, beta cuck, soy boy, libtard, cuck, beta, sissy, snowflake, SJW, loser, shapeshifter, terrorist. <laughs> I need a nap now. <laughs> Ooh, you let it all out, man. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for writing in your comments, by the way. We are almost done with this segment. Um, <laughs> but I also miss Bernie for anyone who said that. Uh, yeah. This was also the week where we found out that the net worth of America's billionaires grew by 15% during the two-month period where we were all stuck inside uh, from $3.382 trillion to, oh, two, excuse me, from $2.9 trillion to $3.3 trillion. Uh, Bezos added $34.6 billion to his wealth and Zuckerberg uh, picked up $25 billion more. And yet money still can't buy you decent hair. Uh, but you know that kind of increase. What is of uh, from two point nine trillion to three point four trillion? What's four hundred billion dollars between friends? Really, when you come <laughs> think about it, uh, unemployment is at fifteen percent. Coincidentally, fifteen percent is also how much the c- combined wealth of billionaires grew. Coincidence? It's almost as if there is a direct relationship between mass suffering and concentrated wealth. If I were a cynical and paranoid person, I would think that there is a cynical, sinister cabal of white billionaires in a back room toasting each other with an expensive Bordeaux and saying to evil. But because I am not a cynical and paranoid person, I know that there is a cynical, cabal, sinister cabal of white billionaires in a back room toasting each other with Zima. And it's not in a back room. It's live from Mar-a-Lago on CNBC. I think we can workshop that one. I mean, yeah. you know, like just cut out a little of the fat, you know, trim it up. You know, I'm not about cutting fat. I'm all <laughs> about that fat back. <laughs> uh, I just have one thing to say about income inequality right now. 
I find myself bemoaning the fact that I don't have a pool or like a pool house. And then I realize if we actually distributed wealth equally, we could all, I mean all, I mean every person on earth could have a pool. Maybe not their own, like they could, but they share it among like three or four people. But even that, it could be almost private. Like that's how much money we have in the world. Everyone could be comfortable and I don't have to feel guilty about wanting a pool. And yes, I did buy an inflatable pool. Have I already mentioned this? Yes. I support okay. your inflatable pool. Thank you. All right. And that was the week where. Hey! Segment break. Uh, music sting, music sting, music sting, music sting. Mm-hmm. Brought to us by our sponsors. Sponsor, sponsor, insert sponsor. Um. For now, we're just being brought to you by NATO's drink, Point Break, which he invented on his own? Uh, no, I let me see. I found this one on the St. George Spirits website. St. George is a random product placement. That uh, will soon be our sponsor, yeah. hopefully. So St. George, feel free to send me more, more liquor. So feel <laughs> free to send me any liquor. Feel free to sponsor me. I'd like to be sponsored by St. George Spirit. Please, for the love of God, I wish a liquor company would sponsor us. I mean, also, like, anyway, it'll be good. All right, guys, we're moving on to our next segment. Thank you for joining us. Once again, I am Francesca Fiorentini. This is the Bituation Room. That is Nato Green. We usually start off the show with What Are You Bitching About Now, which is um, an old segment, you know? Uh, but I, I think we should bring it back. I love this segment. Um, let's get into it. And I, I want everyone who is watching right now to comment, let me know what you're bitching about. This could be very small. I have a hangnail there. My faucet is leaking, both of which are realities in my life. But what are you bitching about right now? Small or big NATO? What are you bitching about? Uh, I'm, I'm bitching about the, uh, the diehard movies. Um, Solid. Uh, so the, uh, I've been, I've been binging uh, I've, the diehard movies recently and so last night I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third Die Hard movie from 1995. A uh, couple things to note about that. Uh, the race politics of it are super weird. Um, the, the opening, the introduction of Bruce Willis's character, he is sent to Harlem wearing a sign that says, it, in nothing but his underpants, wearing a sign, a sandwich board that says... Uh, Not uh, racist. <laughs> no, I hate N-words. Um, and then a bunch of black dudes come to try to kill him. Uh, and Samuel Jackson saves his life. And then Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson spend the rest of the movie uh, having Bruce Willis call Samuel Jackson racist for not liking white people. So Wait, Samuel movie- Jackson is in, is in Die Hard 3? Yes. Yeah. It was like, it, it came out, it was around right after he did Pulp Fiction when people were like, oh my God, Samuel Jackson's a thing. It was right around that time. Uh, interestingly, also, there's a scene where um, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson yank a cabbie out of a taxi cab and take the, take the taxi cab for a car chase. And you only see the cabbie for a second, stereotypical Arab cabbie, but he's like, hey, you can't do this. I'm da, 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 da. And I recognized the voice. And I looked it up, and of course, it was who I thought it was, which was Asif Manvi yeah. in an early role as Arab Kabi. Uh, and Asif Manvi, who has gone on to do incredible work talking about representation problems of uh, uh, 
of Indian people in cinema and uh, typecast as Arab cabbie. But I felt like he really brought a lot of complexity and nuance to the role as he got dragged out of his his taxi cab. Maz Jabrani does the same thing. Like they all admit they got their starts like as the most quintessential stereotypical like Arab American, Indian American um, immigrant role. But then that was the only role that was open to them. Um, I'm curious about, I would really love I f what I do want to challenge white supremacists to do is to follow their leader, Bruce Willis, and just go to Harlem with a sandwich board on um, and the N-word on it. Do it, man. Like you so See how that works out. out. Yeah. See how it works out. Um, that's a good well, thing. It's also it's also fun because it's like they're in in Harlem and and you're watching it and there's all these parts of of New York that are supposed to be super edgy and you're watching it knowing that like if the same streetscape was shot now it would like all be like small plates restaurants and you know expensive apartment buildings. I was I was listening, but I was also reading comments, NATO. Okay, that's fine. What are you bitching about, Francesca? What am I? Well, I'm bitching about. I'm bitching about Andrew Cuomo. I'm just going to say it. I'm tired of these, like, talk about a live stream that needs to end. Like, all of his press conferences that go on and on and on. And it just shows you how starved for leadership we are. And when I say we, I mean mostly Democrats, right? And, like, people left of nut job. Like, the, the, like and people are even have been floating his name, of course, you know, to like, oh, what if he comes in at the last minute and replaces Joe Biden? Like, what? In what world? Um, but I feel like we as a country, you know, this is a Democrat, by the way, who has Medicare on the chopping block uh, in New York State. Right. There's a fight in the New York State Senate around that. Um, so he's proposing custom Medicare and Medicaid while his city is undergoing this, you know, incredible, uh, you know, health health emergency. But it's like I like to imagine what we wouldn't watch Cuomo doing like we would watch him doing anything like I just like to imagine him with like a Rubik's cube you know just like uh nope nope you know the 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 reds the red the red is here and I need it here you gotta twist see this twisting <laughs> no one what fucking nerd solved this thing nobody anyway oh green oh you want me to do green okay well what should I do? Ah, uh, you're cute. Like, you know, that is what <laughs> that is what we would watch Cuomo doing. And it might be preferable than watching a Trump press conference, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 just the the Trump stand or the Cuomo standing really speaks to like how low the bar has fallen. That uh that you know the uh that our expectations of a competent government response are so low that whenever a politician is like not like just you know as trump is doing or boris johnson or bolsonaro just like publicly filleting themselves on television and is like maybe we should do anything at all people are like oh my god you're the yeah. fucking jesus christ yeah true that i'm gonna read people's comments really quickly um and I will take this moment to say, please tip us. A portion of tonight's tips are going to be donated to the Navajo Nation, which again is one of the um, populations struggling with coronavirus the most out of any population in the U.S. So please tip us at TBR-Live on Venmo. Um, bitching about, let's uh, let's find out. So people are bitching about that they're 
Um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Someone's bitching about that they, they want to go celebrate Eid. Uh, that's Ubaid. And it comes twice a year. Nowhere to go out and celebrate. I say just like get in your car or rent a car. Fucking speed, man. Speed and just honk the horn and scream like a banshee. That like that never fails to be exciting. Um <laughs> NATO has nothing to say about that. That's fine. Uh Dove is uh, I'm, I'm paying I'm paying my respects to Eid. I was reading the comments. Somebody's pitch, somebody's pitching us on a on a sponsor. Oh Christ. It's going to be gross. Uh it's going to be like uh some some like chicha. You remember you know what chicha is? I sure do. <laughs> yeah. Would you sponsor chicha is like an alcohol that's derived from what I from my understanding a collective of people spitting into a spittoon and over time that spit fermenting into an alcohol. <laughs> you add sugar. Yeah, right. Uh, um, go ahead. I'm going to read some comments. I'm bitching about the people who are protesting to reopen their states. Amen. I'm bitching about car insurance, but have the same tank of gas for two months. Honestly, honestly, where are we going? Why do we have to pay? Like, we should at least get a little reprieve from that. Uh, I'm bitching about the recent Star Trek spinoff shows. Can't go there with you, NATO. Uh, <laughs> did you intend to say can't go there with you, referring to a place that no man has ever gone before? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, isn't it like a no girls allowed type thing? I don't know. I don't know. I I I I tapped out. I'm I'm aware that like this is this is as much as so. There, I my understanding is that there's a new Picard show on on the CBS streaming platform. And I think the head writer, uh, this is what the reason I know about it, is that the head writer is acclaimed Bay Area author, Michael Chabon, mm -hmm. um, who wrote The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay in the Yiddish Policeman's Union. Uh, and so it's intriguing that he, uh, this like Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, wrote a Star Trek series, but not intriguing enough for me to subscribe to CBS All Access. Yeah, honestly, like these... These giant conglomerates are trying so late in the game to get on, and they're like, uh, but we got Chrissy Teigen cooking in a bra. And you're like, well, I might subscribe for that. <laughs> like everyone's just trying to create. I mean, let's not talk, let's not start with Quibi, honestly. Um that okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple more comments. Um, bitching about. Uh, the fact that Comcast controls my internet, and if I want to remove TV from my plan, I have to go with an internet-only policy that actually costs more than TV plus internet in one. WTF, Mark? I think yeah. you're supposed to add a landline. I think once you add a landline, everything gets cheaper? So uh, here's here's what I do, because also Comcast is the company store in my town. Uh, and every six months or so, I call them and threaten to cancel, and then they give me free HBO. It's very weird. This is great. Yeah. This is. Who's the person from Canada? Oh, I was showing this. This is a person we don't have much to bitch about because things are smooth. We're so scared of the U.S. The border is closed, and I guess we want to keep it that way for as long as possible. And oh, and their and their profile name is Moi Border Bourdieu, some Frenchy shit. I don't know. I'm gonna say Quebecois. Yeah, rub it in. 
must be nice having a president who can read and whatnot. Oh God. What did he do? Oh, banned assault weapons. Just <laughs> yeah. He still did blackface. Never forget. All right. Like, th like three times. Three he, times. He, he couldn't remember how many times he had done blackface. Yeah. Which is yes, we have too a many times. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we have a president who's encouraging armed revolt against stay-at-home orders, but blackface. 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 All right. You guys, we're going to move into our next segment. Um, I'm so excited to have this guest on. Um, he is a author, a journalist. He wrote the book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip-Hop Generation. He also co-founded the arts organization Culture Strike and co-founded Color Lines Magazine, which is now a website, Love Color Lines. Um, and the reason I asked him on was because I saw his face on the awesome PBS documentary, uh, Asian Americans. If you haven't seen it, you really, really should. Uh, he's super great. Please welcome Jeff Chang, everybody. <laughs> hey, how are you guys doing? Good. I just want to say the Bituation Room is the best name ever. Um, I, all my friends believe so. I think we all want to get tattoos to say the Bituation Room. Oh, yeah. Good. Who came up with that name, Francesca? Um, I feel like I did. But I can't oh. really remember. Oh, really? Really? It was you? Really? I think it was mostly that NATO was like, oh, you should. I can't start this podcast, but but I love the, the, the idea of the habituation room. So, yes, NATO came up with it. <laughs> but Jeez. I did it. So you're holding it down. He does deserve the credit. So but yeah. I love the habituation room because people get it kind of twisted. Like, you know, we don't like go around calling each other bitches that much. But occasionally mm -hmm. someone who on like in a comment or on Twitter would be like, yeah, bitch, go. <laughs> like, like, are we reclaiming bitch? Can I say bitch yet? You know, and uh, I always think that's funny. Uh, it's more of a, it's more of a verb than a noun in this case. It's like, uh -huh. we're bitching about stuff. Got it. So Jeff, uh, first question, you, you, you wrote a book called we gonna be all right. Oh, uh, no. not that will we, will, will we though? <laughs> are, yeah, are we really? gonna be all right uh you know, since the book came out it's just gotten worse and worse and worse yeah. I, I don't you, it's it seems 2016 like is when you released it man that was a, right yeah it's been uh, a, yeah exactly you also wrote a book called can't stop won't stop i think we might stop jeff i think we might stop <laughs> lots of things have stopped it's true it's maybe really we true. should stop i think i need title consultants for my next book is what i need yeah. if you can work um, bitch in there somewhere okay um, Dude, Jeff, uh, I, we have so much. The habituation room will be the name of the next book, something like that. Please journey into yes. Uh, I have so many questions for you. We have so many things to talk about, but just situating ourselves in this moment right now, mm. it being you know uh, about we're about to hit a hundred thousand deaths uh, due mm. to coronavirus. Um, we have it's Asian American Heritage Month, which somehow Trump is celebrating. Um, I think he he thinks it's like this. Whenever you celebrate a, a ethnicity's month, you you get like free reign to dump on that ethnicity. I, I mm -hmm. maybe he thinks that's what it is. It's just like, it's like the purge. You know, right. it's like oh yeah, Black History Month. You know, um, because he's specifically going after Asian Americans, mm -hmm. uh, going after China, calling this the you know Chinese flu. It's not even a flu. So like, mm -hmm. I'm almost equally upset that it's like wrong as well as racist yeah. um but just you know here's a here i want to read you this tweet and just get your general response um 
he also tweeted after um, he told a, I believe a Chinese journalist, he was like, why don't you go ask China when she asked him a basic question and nothing, nothing to do with China. And he goes, why don't you ask China? And she immediately knew what he was talking about. She was like, why would you ask me? Um, he wouldn't respond, obviously. And then he goes to Twitter and says, Asian Americans are very angry at what China has done to our country and the world. Chinese Americans are the most angry of all. I don't blame them. What the fuck is this strategy? Like, I don't know. Like, has really Elaine Fowl been in his ear too much? Like, what's going on? I just, I don't, I can't call it with this guy anymore. Yeah, I mean, that was the Wei Jia Zhang um, uh, thing that he was he was doing. Wei Jia Zhang is like sort of our new um, Helen. What was her last name again? Helen Thomas, right? Yes, Helen. She's like yes. new Helen Thomas. She's like our Asian American Helen Thomas, and she like constantly like puts him on the spot and he's just, you know, sort of like, ask China um, <laughs> is sort of where he's been coming from. I, you know, folks are angry. I mean, that's the one thing that's been really, really interesting. And uh, it was interesting to me that early in the month they dispatched, you know, Andrew Yang to do a, an op-ed for, for the Washington Post to say, hey, you guys just be super Americans. It'll be all good. Um, and that's really worked out well for us uh, all these years, uh, and certainly in the last two and a half months. Um, yeah, but, are, you, are you saying you're not Yang Gang? I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not Yang Gang. I'm Jeff Yang Gang. Um, I have a friend named Andy Yang, uh, but not the presidential candidate. Uh, Andrew I Yang. was going to ask you about that because I think that was also a really. Um, I think that struck a lot of Asian Americans the wrong way. I know myself included. Andrew Yang saying that in that op-ed you mentioned, we need to step up, help our neighbors, donate gear, wear red, white, and blue, <laughs> volunteer, fund aid organizations, do everything in our power to accelerate the end of the crisis. Um, we should show that we are Americans. Like this is at the same time that there's been a huge spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. um, and again, folks following the president's lead. Like how does that, What's your response to that? Um, it's interesting to me that, you know, he starts uh, calling it the Chinese virus at the moment that he decides to take, you know, coronavirus semi-seriously, right? He like, he immediately has to, to backtrack and find another scapegoat to kind of displace the mismanagement questions. And it's the right. same thing, right? When as soon as, um, as soon as the numbers start coming out about who's actually... Um, you know, more prone to the virus, catching the virus, and who's more prone to dying from the virus, and that, of course, being folks of color, you know, Blacks, Latinx folks, Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, Asian Americans, then it's all of a sudden like, oh, let's reopen the country. Um, and so he's, you know, he's got, a, he's got a plan there. He's definitely got a plan there, and he's, he's figured out how to, how to move people into you know, the kinds of like crazy absurdities that Octavia Butler couldn't imagine, you know, rest <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it, what's clear to us is that the way to get out of the coronavirus problem is to address equity, right? Science supports equity. And uh, you have to go to the folks who are being most impacted by this and take care of them first. That's what science says. Yeah. Um, and with Trump, it's basically like, we're going to throw science out the window and we're just going to basically advance this sort of magical racist thinking. 
that if we close the borders and we open the country that we'll get done with this. Um, and that's obviously not, not what's going to happen. So is that, is that magical racist thinking? Is that black magic or is that white magic? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> is it blanc or is it negro? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> blanco or negro. I yeah. mean, I think it's, you know, one of the moments that to me that was like, wow, this is not just, it's, it's so dumb. I, you don't know what's first. Like, is it dumb or racist first? Like which foot comes first, you know? Um, and that was the banning Chinese nationals from getting on a flight to this country, but allowing people who uh, live in the U.S. to come back from flights on flights from China. Like what difference does that make, you know, uh, at all? This is where racism is is leading you to the most ignorant decisions. Mm -hmm. um, funny how that works. And once again, stupid Hitler has not figured any of this out. And also, apparently, you know, there were, we were close to some sort of trade deal. And that's why I think Trump wanted to go a little bit easy on China in the beginning mm. um, with all of this. And then once he was like, his base was like, no, but just blame the Chinese. He was like, okay, fine, you got it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's GOP folks who are like writing these like hundred page memos on how to how to blame China uh, for all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, like Europe has become the biggest hotspot, and folks who are coming back from Europe are seeding, you know, the virus throughout the east coast of the country. Um, so yeah, I mean, racism, you know, perfect example of of why it doesn't take us anywhere. Can I, Je Jeff, I, I was w thinking about, uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about sort of putting this moment in the context of the rest of your, let's call it your oeuvre. Um, oh God, so, time. Uh, so, so for people, for our listeners and viewers who are not already familiar with your oeuvre, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, they, that uh, you and I have talked about before is the idea that culture precedes politics. Yeah. Um, and so could you explain that concept? And then in the, in the context of this moment, like shouldn't anti-racism, Asian, uh, anti-Asian racism be over because fresh off the boat was on television. <laughs> like, isn't that, isn't that yeah. how the theory works? works? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, you've got, you've got a lot of stuff that that's, you know, really positive. We had three, you know, Asian or part Asian presidential candidates this year. Um, we finally had like a, a big five episode PBS series. We've had fresh off the boat. We've had crazy rich Asians. Um, there's probably never been a spot like Aquafina is a superstar, right? Like mm -hmm. we probably haven't had any moment um, in history where we've been so prominent in the spotlight. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, my sister-in-law or uh, my mother-in-law or, you know, my partner, like getting harassed in the streets, in the hospitals, like everywhere. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of best of times, worst of times type of stuff here. Um, the thing that I find like really interesting is, is that there's a moment now for Asian Americans to kind of step up. And I think that that's been happening, right? Like one of the things that folks don't recognize about Asian Americans is we're overrepresented in, in the health worker industries, in the service industries, and amongst like the healthcare um, industries, right? Um, so that's led to the situation where, like New York City, uh, Asian American unemployment has soared by seven thousand percent, which is mm -hmm. mind-boggling to me. Um, but you literally had like 
in one month alone, like 171,000 claims, like a 7,000% growth in unemployment over the course of one year. Um, Flushing, you know, Chinatown, like all of these areas, Elmhurst, like um, just completely devastated um, by all of this, right? And at the same time, like quiet, quiet as it's been kept, um, you know, Asian Americans uh, as nurses, as assistants, as doctors, as all these kinds of things, like on the front lines, just getting really, really hard hit. Um, so for us, like what that means is, is that we're in a super vulnerable type of position. And what I think that that means is, is that more folks, more Asian Americans are hopefully going to be able to get off the fence and be able to find common cause uh, with folks in terms of fighting racism. Um, and that means everything from trying to get more representation. You know, it's it's super important for us to be able to have our fresh off the boats, but it's also super important to tell the story of the Uno family in an Asian American, you know, documentary series, right? Um, to, to talk about like what it means for Asian Americans who are trying to be super Americans and other Asian Americans who reject that and how that plays out, how racism like divides families, literally separates families, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I think at the end of the day, you know, what we're trying to get to is a point where hopefully the representation means that there's more empathy for folks who are not Asian. And hopefully, like, folks are, are, are stepping up to be able to say, this is what we really want to see our country look like. Um, and it's not necessarily a world in which we're all wearing math pins, right? Um, it's, God, it's a no. world in which we get to be represented for for the full humanity that, that we offer. Can, Jeff, can I ask you to lift up, like, who do you think is doing the most important work in terms of like on the, uh, on the Asian American side in terms of like multiracial solidarity? Oh God. Uh, do we have like another like six hours? <laughs> There's so many people. <laughs> I mean, I just point to the work that, that I Jim Poo is doing at the national domestic workers. Yeah. Alliance. Um, I think that she's doing incredibly powerful work and it's literally looking at a group of, um, women workers, right, who are um, bridging generations, taking care of the aging boomer generation, um, and who are like largely of color and largely immigrant, um, black immigrant, uh, brown immigrant, obviously, um, Asian immigrant, Pacific Islander immigrant, like, this is a group that that hasn't been represented. And she's been able to kind of, like, I think, really shape the future of, of what our, our um, labor force how our labor force should be taken care of and also like the importance of the culture as well. She's been playing a really crucial role in trying to get these stories pushed out and love Ijin. And so Ijin is like, it's a little, it's a, Ijin is a little bit of a sore subject for me because she's won a MacArthur genius award and I haven't. <laughs> and so, you know, that like, I don't begrudge her. Middle, hers, you know, like, When's the white man going to win her. again? I know. I just, it's not, it's like, I just personally need to win a MacArthur award. That's all. That's like, <laughs> and then I'm fine. What, I mean, I just want to mention that I, I love the PBS documentary. I mean, and in your part, and it was great. And I learned, I mean, the way I watched it was watching a documentary about American history through the eyes of Asians and, and Asian immigrants. And it, and it was, it did not feel separate. And that I think was the point and is the point of understanding Asian American history is that actually Asian Americans and Asian immigrants have been critical in shaping American history, whether, you know, it is about, um, uh, defining citizenship, right? Like in, you know, Chinese Americans early on demanding, um, 
the right to be citizens if they're born in this country, right? So naturalized citizenship was started and was a fight that Asian Americans began and have continued on down to the, you know, Filipino-Mexican farm worker alliances with Cesar Chavez and all that. So like, you know, and on to the um, struggle for ethnic studies, right? Um, in the uh, like 70s and 80s and such. So I'm like, I guess, uh, I mean, I, I loved it. I love this. And I have a lot of questions sort of related to that. Um, but I know we, we can't, we can't, I'm like, which questions do I want to ask for? I think, um, I guess I kind of want to ask you about like, like ethnic studies. Right. And I think that especially right now we're in this moment where a lot of people are, um, and especially on the left are angry at identity politics because they feel like it only is about identity and it leaves behind the politics. Right. And I and feel class. like, and exactly. And it leaves behind class. And yet I feel like people overcorrect. And so we're in this moment where it's like a lot of socialists and socialist organizations are incredibly blind to gender and race dynamics. Um, and vice versa, where you have, you know, it's like, all right, well, Biden's got to elect a black woman in, as Veep and everything's fine. You know, right? we're post-race. Um, so I guess as someone who's studied this and knows a little bit more about it, like, what are your thoughts on like, are we done fighting for like, where, when can we be post-race? And like, what are your responses to that? Like identity politics question? I mean, all politics, it's identity politics. So uh, when folks are saying I'm against identity politics, what they're really saying is I'm against like making more space for folks of color to actually be heard. Um, and I think that that's problematic, right? That's, that's basically saying mm -hmm. like, let's maintain white folks being on the top of this. And then we can talk about class on the terms that we want to set. Mm. Right. But what about talking about class from the point of view of a Latinx um, immigrant, queer immigrant? Like, right. What about talking about class from the point of view of an Asian American or a Pacific Islander um, immigrant woman? Right. Like, what about talking about class from the point of view that Angela Davis and all these other types of folks have kind of laid out? Right. From mm -hmm. a black women's, a black feminist point of view. Um, we need to talk about intersectionality. Um, and, and so when folks talk about like not being into identity politics, what they're really saying is, is there's not enough white identity politics being represented anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're going to come at me and say no identity politics, then the first thing I'm going to say is take your whiteness out of this and then we can actually talk about that. Um, and, and I think that that's ultimately how we get to this post-race thing, right? We need to be able to dismantle white supremacy and dismantle um, whiteness as this sort of powerful force that's actually shutting everybody else up. Make mm -hmm. a space for, for um, you know, the, the, the trans Pacific Islander, you know, woman, you know, worker, poor worker. Um, and then we can talk, right? Make a space mm -hmm. for that person to be able to say, here's what my intersectionality tells me we should be doing in terms of moving this forward. Don't try to black explain Joe Biden, right? right. Um, like, shut up and listen for a second. Um, and maybe we can get somewhere with that. Word. Nate, are you pulling up a comment? Becca's pulling up a comment. Uh, Question for Jeff, how do you respond to people who call it the China virus and don't seem to grasp why that is wrong without getting into a political rabbit hole? Oh, like, I, I mean, there's part of the rabbit hole that folks need to kind of confront is scapegoating in these moments, right? When we have 
a national crisis. Um, and, and so I think that we got to pull people into that a little bit. We do have to pull people into that, right? And we need to talk about that for real. And we need to talk about kind of historic comparisons, right? Um, I think that, that uh, the, you know, the problem with calling it uh, the China virus is that it makes it it makes it seem basically that everything um, originated there and therefore everything needs to be kind of put back into this bottle and a court needs to be put upon it and we need to throw it back in the ocean so it floats back to China and that's the way that we're going to get out of this um, and that's just not the case anymore right like that's just not what's happening I mean Africa is further ahead than us in terms of treatment of the coronavirus right so if we pull our heads out of like you know, whatever, you know, fucking whatever what's in right now, um, a very deep, Our asses. Uh, you smelly mean, place, right? Um, yeah, then we can actually get at, at, at resolving uh, what's going on here. Um, would, would you would you say that it's more accurate, instead of calling it the China virus, it might be more accurate to call it the globalized supply chain virus? <laughs> the globalization virus? Yeah. Wow, we could have a whole different kind of like discussion here couldn't we i mean yeah. i i am cons i am interested because i do andrew yang's op-ed really bothered me um and i i think that asian americans are often asked in moments like this for no reason right just because wuhan was the place that it like broke out first in for no reason the same way that muslim americans are asked whenever there's like you know a muslim extremist who commits some act of terrorism to condemn like you know, terrorism. So now I have to condemn all viruses. Like, okay, I hate, I do hate the flu. Like I yeah. hate SARS. I right. hate MRSA. MRSA right. is bad. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am curious. I'm half Chinese. The other day you told me you, pro you were pro MRSA, Francesca. Listen, you, were, it's you, you used, you used last week, you were anti-SARS pro MRSA this week. Whoever's sponsoring the podcast this week, which is everyone watching right now, tip us down below, tbr-live. But my question is, I do think that we're, Asian Americans throughout American history have been demonized based on which war of aggression the U.S. is engaged in in the Asia-Pacific region. And, and then, of course, following the back of that, you know, you have waves of immigration and immigrants from those countries that we, you know, uh, invaded. And so now I'm looking at, you know, the, uh, you know, preventing this some sort of hot war, right, between China and the U.S., because China's emerging out of this pretty clean, right? Um, you know, we don't know if their numbers are super accurate, but they seems like economically they're not going to be taking the hit. We know economically they're not going to be taking the hit that Americans are. So I'm, I truly am wondering, like, do Chinese Americans have some sort of role to play in alleviating the tensions between both countries? And was that ever a question in other moments of U.S. aggression? This mm. is a huge question. Yeah, it's a massive <laughs> question. I mean, the, the question kind of goes to this thing of, like, what is what are Asian Americans' role in sort of trying to mediate intentions between um the countries that that are in asia and 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 the us right i mean for me it's kind of a difficult question to be completely honest because on the one hand like people look at me and they say oh you're chinese you should you must know everything that, that there is to know about china my family's been in hawaii for seven generations on the mm -hmm. chinese side right on, a, on the hawaiian side it's been there since the beginning right so like 
it's it's a strange thing to be able to the, the beginning you mean you you mean in Moana? Yeah. In the documentary <laughs> Moana. Is that when yeah, the islands yeah. were formed? The yeah. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, that was it was really well shot too that 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 documentary. Um <laughs> the the so it's a strange it is a strange question, right, for us to actually have to do, but folks have taken it on, right? We we've taken it on. We've been able to be that bridge because we've got um those kinds of kinship sometimes ties and those kinds of things um i think that overwhelmingly chinese americans uh are trying to talk about trying to find the middle ground in this mm. kind of thing right that there are national interests and all this other kind of stuff but you know the biden campaign like using the same tack on china that trump is using and stuff that's a no-go for asian americans like if you want to depress asian american voter turnout you guys are doing it right now like right. you're doing that big time with yeah. the way that you're talking about China. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it ultimately it, it does fall um, upon us. Um, do I like it? Not necessarily. Um, but does it give me an opportunity to be able to say, Hey, like be human, be real. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll, I'll take that opportunity to be that kind of thing and not to try to be superhuman, not to try to be like over, uh, over American. So don't wear red, American. white, and blue and drape yourself in American flags. Je Jeff, one of our viewers, Stephen asked, um, in Can't Stop, Won't Stop, you talk about a uh, Asian black dynamics in the, from mm -hmm. the 92 riots. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like things have improved or not? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really, really interesting and important question because I, you know, like I'm part of the same generation that Aijin comes out of. We all kind of came out of that particular period. Oh, this fuck. What? Hold this fuck. Yeah, hell yeah, definitely. Uh, loud and proud that way, right? But the reality is that, is that those the riots basically shaped our, our politics forever. Um, and we deliberately didn't go back immediately, many of us, into Asian American politics, but looked at trying to figure out um, what are the ways that we can articulate um, steps towards a multiracial, multiracial democracy. Um, and that's a lot of what happened I think with with our generation, and I've been talking a lot to because you know I, I I've, I'm teaching and all that kind of stuff. So I've been talking a lot to a lot of younger generation Asian Americans, and that particular period changed the direction and the course of Asian America. One one kind of note, right? At that particular time, Republicans were recruiting Asian Americans super hard. Um, now, pretty much Asian Americans are blue, uh, for better and, mm. and maybe for worse, right? Like two-thirds of something like two-thirds or something like that of Asian Americans are are uh, are Democratic voters. Um, I don't actually have the numbers. There's another guy named Kar Karthik Ramakrishnan who can kind of break all of that stuff down, but it's shifted pretty strongly in a generation. And um, and so we've moved and pulled hard to the left and the kind of stuff that, that's happening um, with Trump is is just going to keep people there uh, for, for a while. Yeah. I want to um, go back to the to the documentary. Um, it, this is a this is a softball question, uh, or I'm cheating a little bit because this is what my college thesis was about. In 1882, Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act to stop Chinese immigration mm -hmm. uh, in response to an anti-Chinese movement that was rooted significantly in California. Um, is that in any way at all relevant or illuminating? Are there any lessons from that uh, period that could be relevant to what's happening in America now? I mean, this Jessica's earlier question about identity politics, right? 
this was a movement that was literally terming itself a white working class movement, right? And what that white working class movement did was instead of going after the capitalists in California at the time, mm. they went after Chinese Americans. Um, and that led to the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. It led to, um, you know, basically about nearly a century of anti-immigration laws uh, that kept out people of color uh, that had to be undone by the 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act. Um, you so know, they weren't they, intersectional. They were not intersectional. Um, and that's literally like the, the choice that we have to face, right? Is, is like, do we figure out a way to be able to take that righteous anger, uh, that righteous class anger, white class anger, right? And direct it into a movement that brings all of us together in order to really take on power in this country. Um, and the Chinese Exclusion Act, I think, is a perfect example of of how um, how how not to do things, especially <laughs> right now in twenty twenty. I uh, this is such a great conversation. So we're gonna go along. Thank you all for being here um, once again. Uh, Jeff Chang, author, journalist, um, also uh, working on a new book that I want to talk to him about. Um, please tip us at tbr-live on Venmo. Thank you so much. We're donating a portion of the donations and the tips uh, to the Navajo Nation to help them fight coronavirus. Um, but Jeff, I wanted to ask about Hawaii because mm -hmm. I didn't know how dope Hawaii and po specifically <laughs> politically Hawaii is. Because when you go to Hawaii, I've been a couple times, you're just like, why would I give a shit about over there like I just want to chill here this is great I mean like you know vacation mode boop but Hawaii has had this really trailblazing role in American politics mm -hmm. obviously uh the 44th president of the United States first uh black president um but then the first Asian American woman um to serve in Congress uh Patsy Mink learned all about her from this documentary who was not backed by the Democrats and had to fight and fight and fight even though she did a lot of work um, for the Democratic Party. What What's your thought? How can we get more of that Hawaii sauce in the rest of the country? What do you guys have that we don't have? Uh, a majority of folks of color. I mean, honestly, like Hawaii was basically, you know, a colonized, um, a colonized kingdom, right? It, it America went and forcibly took um, Hawaii. Uh, they literally went in with bayonets and guns and said, this is ours now. Um, and rather than risk a lot of bloodshed, Queen Lilio Kalani basically said, okay, but we're going to work this out over the, over the course of time. Um, and literally in terms of history, uh, in terms of native Hawaiians, we went the wrong way actually with statehood, but mm -hmm. statehood on for, for Asian Americans was the culmination of, a movement in which like people of color in Hawaii were able to topple um, a highly arist aristocratic minority that was running everything, like running all the shit in Hawaii, um, had control over everything. And um, and so it's a very complex story, actually. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a story that on the one hand um, speaks to, you know, the possibilities of, of American democracy. On the other hand, my father didn't get a chance to to actually vote for independence um, or or that kind of thing. He just had a yes no ballot um, for, for statehood, right? So it's it's really complicated. And I think I think on the one hand, it's it, it it's a lesson to learn about 
like where we might be able to harness our power by coming out in large numbers as 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 the U.S. continues to move towards becoming a quote unquote majority minority country. But what is that majority going to be about? That's the main question, right? Was the was like the sort of Asian, um, you know, kind of majority uh, majority um, like thinking about that kind of stuff as we were pushing towards statehood? Um, probably not as much as it should have been. And that's not to like impugn my father's generation or or any of the elders who came before, but we just weren't given that many choices, um, mm. you know. So now we so you're we saying have to deal with the aftermath of that, which is that Native Hawaiians are um, literally in a much much worse off position than all other racial groups in the islands uh, in our homeland, right? And that's 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 it's not only unsettling; it's just maddening. Mm. Um, uh, and and so it's it's a difficult type of thing. It's a it's a really difficult question that you bring up, Francesca. Well, I was to, just wondering to, to, how to we get. Can... <laughs> I'm sorry. I I go ahead. No, well, I I just from hearing all that, I feel like the lesson from Hawaii is uh, secession. Mm. So listen, I'm in California. Let's break off. Let's do mm. this. Mm. Uh, dissolve the union peacefully somehow. And yeah. That's just my, but anyway, that's my stoner brain talking. Again. <laughs> oh yeah. We're going down in Octavia Butler. No, of yeah. course not. No, but, but sovereignty is a real, it's a real important issue, I think. And, and it's important for, for those of us who, um, you know, who grew up like Asian American in Hawaii, it's important for us to be able to actually reckon with that history, to be able to kind of, of, to, to, to look at that. And for, for those of us who, you know, live on the continent, it's to ask like, what kinds of power are we actually looking for? Are we going to be aligning ourselves with folks who are going to be um, trying to send us, uh, you know, put us in the sort of kind of like super, like super white type of box where we've all got to wear math pins and, and that kind of stuff. Or is it going to be one that is aligning? <laughs> white people, people aren't that into math, Jeff. I got news for yeah. you. <laughs> the, white, white people are not up on their math like there's like honestly though that is the most if can you can i just say like an asian american candidate with a, a hat and pins that say math like a white guy had to have done that like that's just the whitest that's the most racist shit ever to make an asian candidate slogan math like come on yeah. that is some biden level shit uh um, we have to move on. Okay, please. <laughs> Jeff, wait, but but actually, wait. Before we move on, I did want to ask. Tell me about your new book. What what's your sure. book about? Yeah, uh, two. I got two. So one is, uh, is a young adult version of Can't Stop, Won't Stop that's coming out next year. Uh, that me and Davy D did. Um, the nice. like, brilliant pioneering hip hop journalist. So that's coming out early next year, and it goes from the '60s all the way to right now, from Black Power to uh, and the Black Panthers to Black Lives Matter. Um, and all the culture and hip hop that kind of came along with that. So that's that's one. And then I'm doing this uh, book on on Bruce Lee, um, and yeah, and that's coming along very very well. Very slowly though. But I do want to make a plug. On June 7th, um, ESPN is is showing my man's uh, movie, Bao Nguyen's movie, Be Water, on yes. Bruce Lee. Helped him a lot with that. Um, I was really like happy to be down with Bao for that project. Um, and it's just a new look at Bruce Lee, um, for sort of a new generation of folks. Um, so I just wanted to pump that up. 
That's awesome. That's the 30 yeah. for 30 doc, right? It's the 30 for 30 doc and it's coming out on June 7th. It's Hell be, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff Chang. I want to keep you because we're going to have our last little segment. Will you stick around? Be happy to. Great. Music, 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 interstitial, interstitial, interstitial. All right. So we have a new segment for y'all. Bring the beat back. Bring the beat back. Um, I need a beat. Please, if you know how to write music, hit me up. Um, we have a new segment, and it is called This Week in Karen. All right. For those of you who don't know, um, once in a while, the internet stops being a hot mess and starts being a great, great place. And that is what the Karen meme is about. Uh, Karen meme, if you don't know, is 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 based on the entitled um, middle-aged, middle-class white woman who feels that uh, coronavirus restrictions and stay-at-home orders are literally her version of slavery. And um, she is going to be loud and proud about it. And it is the meme that made me join Reddit. Honestly, I was like too scared to join Reddit because I was like half of these subreddits are about me and Newsbroke and whatever mm. and being Chinese. Uh, I can't. But then mm. I was like, oh my God, Reddit? Reddit's kind of tight. And there's like entitled Karen's Reddits and there's like call out Karen's Reddits. And there's like, um, if you're going to post a call out, you need to go to this Reddit. There's like a lot of very there's a lot of custodianness or ship over the 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 karen subreddit and i love it so i wanted to play you this week's karen this is a woman uh, uh sitting in her car in a parking lot after i think having gone grocery shopping don't know her name don't know where she is don't want to know don't care um i don't karen and here here it is that was probably 45 minutes of having it on it's the first time I've worn one. I am disoriented. I'm a little mad, if you can't tell that already. Like I'm very, I'm, I'm frustrated, but I don't feel good physically. Like I can tell you right now, I wasn't getting enough oxygen and I just had on one of these little stupid things. I feel dizzy. My hands are kind of tingly. Um, my heart is beating fast. So some of it's an emotional reaction, but some of it's a physical reaction. I understand the virus is real. Okay. I understand the virus is real. Friends, look at the numbers and tell me why everybody's living in fear. Tell me why we're putting these things on and not being able to breathe. I just want to cry. Like that's all I want to do is cry because you can't see people's faces. You can't make human connection. We can't hug people. We can't hold their babies. I'm at the end of it. I'm just simply at the end of it. It doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And it's, I'm not okay with it. Nothing about what we're doing is supported by the numbers that are out there. Those of you that know me, like I am, one of the most compassionate, caring people you will ever meet. And I do care about you, but I also care about me and my children and my family. And I do care about my rights. And it's probably the last time I'm wearing this because I feel terrible. I feel emotionally terrible, but I feel physically like it affected me. So. All right. <laughs> Karen cares. Wow. <laughs> 
caring, caring, guys. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like I get it. The disease is real is the new I have black friends. <laughs> <laughs> you, you knew there was a cry in there. Like, I love just, mm, there's something about a Karen whipping out the tears that is so good. Usually it's, it's the same backyard. What is it, the barbecue Becky? Like, there's yeah. anger, aggression, usually snitching, and then tears. Always <laughs> tears. Um, I, I, what, uh, one of the Karens in my life is an older black lady who called me up and is like, what the fuck are people sending me? Like, why is this <laughs> happening to me? <laughs> that's so wrong. See, that's the only person who I will accept anger about the Karen meme from is yeah. a Karen who, a Karen of color. Um, <laughs> that's it. Everyone a else. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, but I will say, uh, I believe that Sharon is a weaponized Karen. Like Sharon, I, my landlord's name is Sharon. Mm. Sharon is even crazier. Like Sharon is the manager that Karen wants to talk to. Do you know what I mean? She comes in. She got her old bullshit going on. She's got a bunch of other excuses. But this is so funny that we're looking at these Karen memes with Jeff Chang in this Asian American Heritage Month because Asian countries, as we know, no problem wearing masks. Um, usually because out of courtesy. Like initially when I first saw people wearing masks, maybe 10 years ago or whenever, you're like, oh, God, are they doing that, you know, to um, are they scared of me? Am I, you know, is this place really, are there a lot of germs? And then realizing that, no, this is out of courtesy. This person has either been sick, has a cold, whatever, and they're doing this as a courtesy to me. So now the fact that you've got a lot of entitled and they really are all white women, they're all just of a certain age protesting. They're so mad. They're taking their, their cell phone warriors and uh, they're mad about having to wear a mask. Um, these are the people who are, they're like asking for Mayor Garcetti's manager. They're like, I want to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I want to speak to Gavin Newsom. No, you're not good enough. I want to speak, you know, like progressively until we get to Trump. Yeah. I just, this, ah, oh, sensitive Karen. Is that, is there a subreddit for sensitive Karens? There should be. We can start one. Gosh. Oh, have like, you met a Karen? Sensitive. I'm sensitive to your pain, but I'm not sensitive to your dying. Actually, I'm not sensitive oh. to the fact that you should be bringing me food at five o'clock every day. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, you're. Um, I do have to say, though. So I was watching Fried Green Tomatoes. Oh, Matt Lieb. Yeah. Saying the exact same thing. Sharon is the manager that Karen wants to talk to. Exactly. Um. Uh, I, I watched the movie Fried Green Tomatoes this week because there's I just I'm like, let's go back. Let's take it there. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, Kathy Bates plays this sort of like um, housewife who is ignored and upset. And then she kind of becomes empowered through the story that she hears of the old self. And as much as it kind of warmed my heart because you're kind of rooting for Kathy Bates to like stand up to her husband. She never actually leaves her husband. She just changes her attitude about her husband and I'm like, oh, shit, am I watching the inception of a Karen? <laughs> like, like I think Kathy Bates, 
That's like the Karen origin story. The origin story of fucking Karen <laughs> is Kathy Bates in Fried Green Tomatoes. It's like, because she doesn't leave her husband. Karens don't take actual action. They don't better themselves or their lives. They don't leave their mm. shitty spouse or, you know, like do something positive for their lives. It's they just antagonize other people, you know. Everyone else is to blame. And I will just a warning out there to all the younger white women: every Jennifer could grow up and be a Karen. You don't know it now, but just give it some years. Give it ten years. Watch out for the signs of Karen. Listen, I'm half white, dude. I gotta watch every time there are like cops around. I become hella white. Do anyone else who's biracial become really white around cops? Like um. I wasn't doing anything like I get super uppity. I'm like, oh, God, am I getting really Karen right now? You know, <laughs> so I'm just saying, watch it. Watch it, young white ladies. Um, anything else to add about our entitled friends? I love the idea of the Sharon, though, like the shot calling care, the shot caller above Karen, like like the <laughs> the the Kaylee McEnany of of. Yes. or something right i love that idea that's that's a really that, i think that's definitely something to to develop for sure we've got to the check those folks yeah the shot caller oh kaylee kaylee was definitely going to become a karen oh my god she Kay feels like she's beyond that now yeah yeah she's true she's in power you never want to empower the karens um but listen <laughs> It seems what? like 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 the whole. Uh, it, it reminds me of the uh, Teju Cole's series on white sentimentality mm -hmm. uh, from years ago. Like that that it's that it's very emotive, but also dangerous. Like that behind those tears, you know, there's like this incredible irrationality. Like in the video, she keeps talking about the numbers. The numbers. What the fuck are you talking about? The numbers say a hundred thousand people are dead. What is wrong with those numbers to you? Like, uh, you know, so she doesn't make an argument about what's unclear about the numbers she, to her. She just she starts crying. Type of people who are dying. Right. Yeah, I don't know anyone. You don't know anyone. Um, so actually, but I've been per personally inconvenienced. Yeah, no, uh, it's real. Sure, and I have black friends are actually antithetical to one another because if you had black friends, you'd know that it's hitting the black community harder than others. So, um, all right, guys, send us your Karen memes. That has been the Bituation Room. Just thank you so much, Jeff Chang, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's this was such a good discussion. <laughs> all right. Um, that was corny. I'm glad people listening on the podcast couldn't see my little excited uh, fists there. But she, you did a, she did, Francesca did like a scooty dance kind of thing. It was very uh, target lady. Um, yeah. You can listen to the podcast on uh, all the platforms, all the things. Rate this podcast. Give it five stars. Give us a lot of love. Continue tipping us. We are going to donate a portion of the proceeds to the Navajo Nation. Thank you, Jeff Chang. Follow him. Jeff Chang, how can we follow your work? Uh, at Zentronics on Twitter and Instagram. Zentronics on Twitter and Instagram. Great. I'm going to put that here. Zentronics. And, uh, and JeffChang.net. And uh, re read all of Jeff Chang's books, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, uh, We Gonna Be All Right, and Who We Be, uh, which should be called The Colorization of America, but the publisher fucked it up, uh, <laughs> in a conspiracy to hold Jeff down by the system. The man. The man was after me. Yeah, and please send me new titles if you want me to rename the books. Taking them all. <laughs> Taking yeah. them all right now. 
uh, yeah, we get to be all right, maybe in a couple hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> that was Nato Green, comedian, labor organizer. He will be back. We'll be back next Sunday, every 6 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern time here on Facebook, YouTube, twitch.tv. Goodbye. We love Goodbye. you. Bye. Next week, Brandy and Armagnac. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>